Welcome to Naked with Mimosas and Hot Sauce, a relatable podcast series about life and being consciously uncomfortable. I'm Kelly. And I'm SB. And we invite you to get naked in this chaos with us as we build a conscious community one conversation at a time. And having a few laughs along the way. So with that being said, let's get get naked. naked. All right, Kelly. So here we are again. Another episode. It is. Yes. Naked with mimosas and hot sauce. Super exciting. Yes, it is where we love to get naked in conversation. And so I'm super excited to have a very dear friend of mine, Andrea Terrell, with us today. Will you introduce yourself for us? Yes. Hi, everyone. I'm Kelly Therabath. Thank you so much for having me today. I'm so excited to get naked with y'all. But my name is Andrea Terrell. I live in Raleigh, North Carolina, and I'm a mom of one. <laughs> <laughs> one amazing, amazing little boy. And we'll go down that route. We'll talk. We'll dig into that here in just a few minutes. So do you want to kick off in any particular way? Not at all. Let's just kind of dive into the story. Yeah. So Andrea, I could tell your story, but in a really shitty way. So I want you to tell your story. Why don't you start a little bit by telling us a little bit about you, like spend a few minutes just talking to us about you, maybe before Baker and then how you got to Baker. And then we'll kind of go down that road. Okay. Gosh. Well, I uh, am from Atlanta, Georgia. I grew up in Atlanta and that's actually where I met Sarah Beth. We met back in the day working at T-Mobile. We had side-by-side cubicles and hit it off famously, but I am a tennis pro by trade for 20 years and played tennis at, at East Carolina University all four years, go Pirates. And after college, moved to Los Angeles where I had a lot of fun working with Nickelodeon and Disney but also working within the Palisades as a tennis pro. But moved back home, uh, tried to be a grown-up where I met Sarah Beth and played sales girl, but uh, then quickly got back into tennis because the hours were a lot more fun and so was the money. But I love teaching tennis. I've also done event planning in the past. I kind of like to keep my favorite things to do as my line of work. So planning parties, playing tennis, and I guess talking on the phone. <laughs> But I uh, was married uh, to Bill. I met him when we were very young um, in seventh grade through a family friend and reconnected in Atlanta. And when I saw him after knowing him as a teenager, just fell. I mean, Sarah Beth, you remember I hit the floor and eyes bugging out like, whoa, that's Bill. Gosh, good to see you, buddy. And, you know, started dating and had a great time and got married in Charleston where it rained like the Dickens, should have known then. But long story short, was married and um, had my sweet little boy Baker at Piedmont Hospital in 2011. And gosh, I feel like from there, it's been the journey of Keep Baking Baker. So you skimmed right over your journey to Baker being born. So do you want to tell us a little bit about just the obstacle you went through during that pregnancy? Sure. So Getting pregnant, I'm one of five girls. So I have four sisters that are amazing. And I swear we can all walk by a men's room and just get pregnant. I mean, we were very blessed in the fertility area. So Bill and I said after our first anniversary, we're like, let's let's go ahead and try to be mom and dad. Let's do this. And uh, we got pregnant that, that first go. <laughs> and I guess you call it a go. And we were excited. I mean, I remember just telling Bill that I was pregnant and that we were so excited. I remember telling the grandparents and we were just thrilled. Everything was going well. And at five weeks, I'm sorry, five months, I went in to see a specialist because I had some weird blood work going on. So they wanted to check me at the parentologist. Well, I go into the office and I played two hours of tennis on the suite the day before. So playing tennis, five months pregnant, no problem. 
And I go in there and the stenographer looks very uh, concerned, leaves, and two doctors come in and I immediately realize that I am in the principal's office. I was like, what's happening? And they said, well, you're, you've got very low fluid. Uh, we're very concerned and we need you to go down. We're going to need you to go downstairs and check into the hospital. And I was like, so no tennis. Like I was not even hearing what was happening. So they marched me downstairs, one floor under me. And I stayed there at Piedmont hospital for the next eight weeks, monitoring my sweet little boy and his fluid, because for some reason I had two centimeters of fluid. And when you're having a baby, your womb is supposed to be holding 18 to 24 centimeters. And they could not understand why I had such low fluid. So my water hadn't broken. Uh, They just didn't really understand. So they're like, we're just going to keep an eye on you. Well, that's really where Facebook came into play. And I had so many wonderful friends and family that just held my hand and cheered me on and kept me busy (laughs) as I looked at those four walls at Piedmont. And um, Baker joined us seven weeks early as a 33-weeker preemie. And, um, and that's kind of where he, on February 9th, on a snowy night in Atlanta. It was amazing. <laughs> that's where Kelly asked me where to keep Baking Baker come from for the name of your Facebook group. And I told her that was, it was from when you're trying to keep him in your belly as long as possible. That's right. We're going to keep Baking Baker. So Bill's uh, name is William Baker. And as soon as I met Bill and his license. You know, when you're dating, you like look at each other's licenses and you're like, Ooh, that's a cool name. And I saw Baker and I was like, yep, that's going to be, of course, I thought I was already marrying him at that point. So, um, (laughs) and so I knew I was going to have that little Baker, but my mom put a big sign behind me on the dry erase board that said, keep baking Baker. And so we just kept checking off the weeks. (laughs) That's awesome. I love it. Your energy is like, isn't it? Yeah. It's contagious for sure. Yeah. (laughs) Well, when you, so there was a long period of time between Baker being born and before you realized that it was more than just maybe Baker being a preemie, right? That of where some of his limitations were coming into play or think how, whatever word you want to use there. Sorry, I'm not, I'm, please educate us on what word to use in that kind of scenario. But will you kind of walk us through that? Sure. So yeah, Baker was seven weeks early, stayed in the hospital for about five weeks. And at that point, you know, again, when you're sitting in a hospital bed for eight weeks, I mean, you really look at, okay, I, you know, I wish I had this pregnancy. I wish, you know, you you were like, this, this isn't fair, you know, but I never really felt that feeling. I just felt like this is where I'm supposed to be. And I really, every week the doctor would come in and say, okay, today, if you have your baby today, this is what you're looking at. I just had to go on by each day. I had to just say fully present in the baking process of Baker. But as we went home and became a new family, I was, of course, very careful. I had to teach him how to eat. Uh, because he was so early, he lacked the suck, swallow, and breathe trick that most babies have. So I would have to actually count his breath, his sucks before he would breathe. So I had to teach him literally how to eat. And it was just at that moment, you know, I was just always on point with what his needs were. So we just started kind of rolling with it. Well, two of my sisters were pregnant at the same time. Of course, we always do everything in, in multiples. So my twin and my middle sister, they both had baby boys right around Baker. And, you know, as we started progressing, we noticed that Baker wasn't really babbling. There was a couple of things that I was like, hmm. So on the monitor, when am I going to start hearing some sounds? I just didn't hear a lot of sounds. Well, at six months, the doctor said, well, he's not really where I want him to be as far as muscle tone goes. So 
Uh, let's just give him a couple more months because he's technically only four months. So let's just see where he's at in nine months. And I was like, well, okay. So at nine months, we go to the doctor and he's like, yeah, again, we're not really where we need to be with milestones because Baker wasn't sitting up. He was rolling over, which he hit that right on time. And I was like, yeah, buddy. <laughs> but um, I went to Thanksgiving right after that appointment and I saw my nephews and I realized that, whoa, they're way more advanced than where Baker was just physically. I mean, mentally, Baker has always been cognitively aware. He knows everything I'm saying to him. So he's 100% cognitively aware, but physically he wasn't able to hit milestones. So at nine months, we got enrolled into an early intervention program called Babies Can't Wait. Adorable. And they were like, well, here you go. We're going to start you with PT, OT, and speech. And I was like, hmm, okay, that sounds aggressive, but okay. <laughs> so we did it. And at 11 months, he was able to sit up. And 22 months, he started crawling. And at four, um, after working with a little crocodile and letting go of those reins, he started to walk independently at four years old. But in those times, I would go to my amazing therapist and I'd be like, so is he going to walk? I mean, he's, he's going to crawl, right? I mean, he's, he's going to crawl, right? And she was like, well, honestly, we're never really supposed to say yes or no. And I was like, well, okay, but I mean, why? just tell me. And I really honestly never knew on a daily basis, I never knew that he wasn't going to talk. I never knew that he wasn't going to crawl. I just, it wasn't hitting me. So I just focused on the day and the task at hand. And I just said, okay, what can we do today? And what are we looking at today? So that's what I did. And I did the therapy. We, you know, we did the quadruped. We did all this stuff to get in there. And hey, no one says no to, to me <laughs> and, and tells me that my baby can't do something. So Baker's got a little bit of his mom in him. So he's a fighter. <laughs> that sounds like a long journey of a lot of self-discovery and tools. I think you had to maybe look with either within or a support group. Can you talk a little bit about how, where that strength came from, from, you know, the time you were at, in bed rest up until four years old, like where does some of that strength come from for you? That is such a good question. Um, you know, I think, I don't know if Sarah Beth knows this, but um, I, so I'm a twin and my, uh, my parents had three girls and went for the boy and got twin girls. And Allison was five pounds and I was two. And the doctors did not know that there were two babies in there. So they said, okay, hold on. Allison was born and they're like, it's another girl. My dad's like, Thank yay. And um, they said, wait a second, there's another baby in there. And they said to my mom, don't count on this one. She's probably not going to make it. And I, I must have heard that, but I came tumbling out of uh, breach, which, hey, best side first. And I think I just kept, you know, I feel like growing up, I think my parents always sheltered me. And when I said I wanted to be a tennis pro and I said I wanted to get a college scholarship uh, playing tennis, my parents were like, good for you, Andrea. And they have always been supportive. Don't get me wrong. But I think they were like, hmm, yeah, hang in there, girl. And I did it. And I would do it. I said, I would say it and I would do it. And I said, I'm going to go to Los Angeles after college. My parents were like, mm -hmm, sounds great. I was like, no, I'm leaving August 12th. And they're like, okay, do you have a job? I was like, yep. Do you have a place to live? Yep. And I went to Los Angeles by myself. So I think the tennis training that I had in my academy at Ace Academy in Atlanta really helped me mentally 
to be prepared for that bed rest. I also think Facebook had a whole heck of a lot to help me with that because I didn't feel alone one second in that room. So I think maybe a little bit from there. (laughs) No, thank you for sharing. Okay. So now we were at four years old and he has just been able to take some steps with the crocodile tool of some sort, right? So what's next? So uh, meaning to digress, uh, during my pregnancy, when we were at the hospital, you know, Bill kept coming to me and saying things like, do I have to come every night to see you at the hospital? And I was like, I mean, I guess not. I think kind of it would be nice because I'm your wife and I'm having a baby. Uh, but I mean, you do you, man. It's whatever. And, you know, so during that time, our marriage was kind of on, on a weird place. And we had run into something while we were dating where I realized that Bill had a dependency on pain medication. And I did not really understand the magnitude of it. I was like, hey, I've got a glass of wine here. You, maybe you take a couple pills. Okay. I mean, not something I do, but okay. Did not understand. So he hit it for me for many years and I found out. And so then when we were pregnant and at the hospital, I said, okay, marriage counselor, let's all get together. Let's talk about the big elephant in the room. I'm going to have pain medication because I'm going to have a C-section because babies with oligo tend to not do well with the vaginal birth. So they said, so we brought him every, we talked about it. We got a plan together. And the night I went home, it was the first night I've been home in eight weeks my baby is on intubation. He's intubated. So he's not even breathing on his own. And we count all the pills. We lock them up. And I go to sleep for the first time away from my baby and in my bed. And I realized the next morning, which was my birthday on Valentine's day, I said, I wanted to do one thing. I want to go sit by my baby at the NICU and I'm going to sit there and just hold him. Not, I couldn't hold him. Actually. I could just look at him. So I said, I'm going to go there. Now, mind you, hindsight, after having a C-section, I probably should have just rested. But uh, I know that now. (laughs) But I wanted to be next to Baker. And while I was there, I realized that Bill had stolen 18 of my pills and swallowed them all in one night, the first night I was home. So at that moment, I said to myself, it's me and Baker, for sure. But what do I do here? All of my muscles have been completely disintegrated because I've been on bed rest for eight weeks. I'm not working. I can't even move. My baby's in the hospital. What do I do? Do I leave? Do I, what do I do? And I just said, all right. I mean, my blood ran cold and I just focused on that baby. And through two years, uh, long story longer, you know, the, the game of cops and robbers kept happening. I kept catching them. I kept saying, who do you want to tell first, me or this baby on my hip, that you just picked up some Vicodin at that CVS? Who do you want to tell first? And I kept catching him. So we finally got him into some care and some rehab, which was wonderful. After talking to his family, I said, we need to do something. And I, how do you leave your husband who's sick? How do you leave somebody who has a, a dependency problem? I'm not a quitter. I've never been a quitter. I don't give up on people. I believe in everybody that I meet. And I believe that they're going to be the best possible self of them. So we got him into rehab. Realized at that time I had $31 in my bank account because Bill had been in charge of all of our finances. And I was staying with his parents. And all of a sudden, after a toy appointment with our friend Jenny at Lekatech in Atlanta, amazing place, who gives adaptive toys to children with special needs, I wanted to look for the pictures on Bill's phone. So I was looking through it and a text message popped up and I saw my name. 
And I said, what? And I started scrolling and scrolling. And I said, wait, what? And every single thing on that text message was everything I wanted to hear my husband say to me. And he was saying it to somebody else. So at that point, I grabbed my baby and I told that, I told Bill, congratulations, you just lost your family in three seconds. And I walked out the door. And I went to my mom's house, a retirement community, where it says adults, uh, slow down, adults at play. Yep. And lived there for eight months with my mom and she took good care of me. But I got to be honest, guys, I prayed every night for that man to say, I have done wrong. I want her back. I wanted to hear I was sorry and that he wanted me back. I prayed every single night for that and it never came. So I had to just pull myself together and focus on that baby and that day because all I could focus on was that day. Couldn't look behind me, couldn't look too far ahead because I had no idea what my future held. And I just focused on the moment at hand. God, Andy, I don't know how one single individual gets through <laughs> so many different things. But I said this to you in text message a couple of weeks ago when I said I was frustrated at Steele because he had annoyed me about something, right? And I said, I think about you. I'm going to cry. Like, that I know you would give anything, right, for Baker to piss you off in some way that a normal four-year-old would. So, and I know you just lost your one of your sisters recently, and I'm really sorry for that loss. And uh, I don't know how any one individual gets thrown so many shitty hands, but you have stayed positive through all of it. And so keeping on that tune of this and focusing on the day at hand and not focusing on the future or in the past, right? When you started realizing that more things were wrong, I remember you telling me when you came to our house, I think two years ago when we got to meet, um, when Isabel and um, and Steele and Baker were all together, that yes. you at some point were like, he's not walking, like something's going on. I need, I need you to start taking these, like I need some more tests. So will yep. you go through that? And then also I want you to, I don't want to jump ahead too much here, but will you give, when you get to his diagnosis, will you talk about the whole football stadium and how two people can make a child? You gave that analogy to me and I don't want to. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So at that point, uh, when I was still living with my mom, you know, where adults are at play, uh, Baker and I began just creating our new little life together. And I ended up moving to Wilmington near two of my sisters with lots of cousins. And at that point, we just started living life. And Baker was kind of off. I felt like he was good. And He was having fun at the beach and we got him in an amazing preschool that was a developmental preschool. So they were giving him all of his services that he needed because for those of you who don't have a child that has special needs, it really is incredible the amazing amount of services that are given to us from the government. I know that this day and age, that's a tricky subject, but I will tell you, I have been given so many gifts from the government as far as services going and And so, yeah, we just got him rocking and rolling. He was loving school and he was, you know, toddling around. So Baker was kind of in the mindset of just a toddler for a really long time. And like I said earlier, he's very smart, but he was just nonverbal. But that doesn't mean he couldn't talk. He was talking to me, I swear, all day long. You know, he could say Peppa, Mickey. He was bossy. I mean, he would tell me, he'd be like, no, Barney, Barney, Barney. I'd be like, okay, change it to Barney. And he's like, Peppa. And I was like, all right, we'll get Peppa. So he was always telling me what to do. And um, I feel like even when he wasn't talking, we just were always just communicating. But uh, he was, he's always been just such a little light, this little boy. He's just always had a smile on his face from day one. He's always been pleasant. He's never had a temper tantrum. He's, he's always just been happy and content. And we've just been buddies. 
so we moved to Wilmington and Bill went through rehab, worked really, really hard and, you know, ended up becoming an, addic- an addic- addictionologist, sorry, an addictionologist and uh, helped other people who were struggling with dependency. So he was trying to get himself together and I was, you know, trying to move forward and build a new life. So we had a great time in Wilmington and we got enrolled with all of our doctors. We changed from Atlanta to Wilmington and we had this amazing cardiologist and he said, okay, after three years of being in Wilmington, he said, Andrea, I'd like to talk to you about, or I'd like to ask you why Baker is still the same size. He's, I've seen him for three years. He has not grown. And I was like, well, I'm pretty sure God made him my size. I'm five two and we fit perfectly. I mean, he's got my hip. We're perfect. I don't need him any bigger. I'll carry him to college if I have to. And he said, well, listen, I want you to march down to Atlanta and I want you to tell them that this little bitty cardiologist in Wilmington wants you guys to go back to the drawing board. And for those of you who have diagnosis questions, um, at two years old, we did a muscle biopsy to kind of look into some maybe mitochondrial issues. Um, Basically, Baker's always been a big question mark. Why was his muscle tone so low? Why was his coordination low? Nobody knew. So they kind of gave us this blanket diagnosis of mitochondrial dysfunction. If you've seen Joe versus the volcano, it's kind of like you have a brain cloud. Like it was just, I felt like it was a made up word. So, uh, but that diagnosis gave us uh, the ability to get all of our services, but it really wasn't an accurate uh, diagnosis. So our doctor told us to go down, uh, down to Atlanta and we did. And we started talking to people about growth hormone. And I was like, wait a second, ding, ding, ding. What if we got some growth hormones in this guy? He gets stronger. Maybe he can get himself out of the tub. He was working on it. Maybe he can go down the stairs. He was working on it. So I was like, all right, this could maybe be a good thing. So they wanted to check his pituitary gland and all this stuff. Well, the third part of that test is an MRI. And we'd have no reason to do an MRI since two years old. We had one at two. They looked normal. We had no reason to, to think we needed one. So we just did it for the testing. So the the doctor, the endocrinologist calls me and leaves me a message and says, hey, this is Dr. So-and-so. Great news. We got the results back and he can move forward with growth, growth hormone testing. So we were like, sweet. He said, also wanted to let you know, a uh, radiologist saw something about white matter on his uh, chart and you'll probably just need to call your neurologist and he can fill you in more about that. But uh, okay, cool. Let me know. Green light for growth hormone. So I was like, okay. And if Sarah Beth knows me, like I've said, I'm really good at staying on top of my appointments. I'm not the most organized person. I'm not going to sit there and say that. But for some reason, I immediately called our doctor in Atlanta, Dr. Shub, our neurologist at the time. And I said, for something, for some reason, it said, call the doctor. So I did. And we set an appointment up for Martin Luther King weekend in 2018. And we get in there and he's like, okay, let me just look at what this radiologist said. It says something, this really long, terrible name, metachromatic leukodystrophy. He's like, they're saying it looks like this, but I'm looking at Baker and it's not, I'm not seeing that, you know, he's got his reflexes and gave him, I have pictures still on my phone from this appointment. I also have 6,000 pictures on my phone. (laughs) So we're like, huh? Well, he's like, let me just take some blood. We're going to send it off to the Mayo Clinic. And we're going to just retest them and find out if he has this. So we send it off to Emory. Well, Emory comes back and the certain enzyme they were looking for, they said, we don't have the equipment to do that. So you're going to have to do it again. So we went back and got more blood and sent it off. And it was just one of those things that were like, really? So 
we got the news back from Dr. Shub. He said, Andrea, this was uh, the Ides of March, March 15th, 2018. I get a phone call. We get Bill on the phone and he says, it's confirmed that Baker has metachromatic dystrophy. And it's, here's what's going to happen. Duke's going to call you tomorrow. Uh, Dr. Kurtzberg is a world-renowned MLD doctor working with bone marrow transplants. She's going to call you tomorrow to give you some more details. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry to have to tell you this. And so Bill and I were kind of like, okay, see you later. And I don't think it hit me at that point. I didn't Google anything. <laughs> I didn't try to be a doctor. I just was like, I'm not going to be, I don't believe it. And I'm not going to go with, go there until I have to. So the next day, uh, I'm in Raleigh and visiting my cute boyfriend. And I get on a phone call with Dr. Kurtzberg. She calls us and it is super official. And we end up st- talking for about an hour and a half. And here's the things I heard. Metachromatic leukodystrophy is a terrible disease. Your baby will lose the ability to walk, stand, sit, see, hear, swallow, breathe. We're going to look at maybe seeing if he qualifies for a bone marrow transplant. That's going to involve nine high rounds of chemotherapy. He will live at Duke for a year in the hospital. We're going to bring his body all the way down to zero. If he survives that and doesn't get any infection, then there might be a chance that we can stop this MLD in its tracks. So we said, okay, all right. And Bill and I were kind of like, what? So the next day I got my family on a phone call and said, here's the deal. And I still didn't believe it. I still didn't believe it. So we, um, we ended up meeting with Duke, I think two weeks later and met these amazing doctors who do amazing things. And at that point we began our testing for, again, they wanted to get another positive for MLD and move forward. So Dr. Kurtzberg looks at Baker and says, Hmm, he doesn't look like an MLD patient. So I was like, well, that's the news I want to hear. I don't think he's got it. And Allison's like, my twin is like, he definitely has it. That, that's good news. We, we don't think he has it. Sure enough, we get the results back and he is a positive. So he was, per- they were perplexed. The doctors were perplexed. So they said, we think there might be a dual diagnosis. We think there's something else. In the doctor's office, it was Baker and all my sisters and my mom and Bill. <laughs> and Bill was thrilled about that. And <laughs> Baker walks right over to the doctor and holds her hand. And she looks at him and she says, we're going to find what that is. We're going to find out what you have. And Baker like blew her a kiss because Baker's famous for his little kisses. It was just such a moment. He walked over to that world-renowned doctor who's been on 2020 and just held her hand. And he, she said, we're going we're gonna to get to the bottom of this. So genetics come back several times and turns out he's got something called Coffin-Lowry as well, which is on the X chromosome, which means mom would have it. However... I don't have that gene. So when Baker, I don't have that mutation. So when Baker was created by me and Bill, he, that gene on him, in him flipped. So he came down with Coffin-Lowry. Very rare. About 4% of children have genetic diseases that are unique to their, themselves. And Baker is one of them. <laughs> so he has two diagnoses. And they're equally both rare and both terminal. And very interesting. I've learned a lot of big words. Isn't the coffin Lowry though what keeps Baker appearing so positive? Yes. So one of the characteristics of coffin Lowry is a pleasant attitude, a pleasant just he just embodies pleasantness, and it says like really soft hands. He like has baby skin, and they have a very unique 
physical features. And it's so funny because when he was little, the doctors were like, well, I can see some dysmorphic features on him. And I was like, say what? And they were like measuring his, you know, when they're trying to figure things out. And y'all, he looked just like me as a baby. So I was like, you're calling this girl dysmorphic too. So back off everybody. But so Coffin Lowry isn't as, as dangerous as MLD uh, because MLD is just basically the face of slide, sliding down the face of a mountain, uh, trying to grasp onto anything before it, before it, you know, you get to the bottom of it. But uh, Coffin Lowry does have a, where your spine does turn and closes down on your organs. So most Coffin Lowry patients get uh, rods in their back to keep that from happening. But they also have, you know, um, slow um, development, nonverbal, stuff like that. So a lot of the things we were seeing was Coffin-Lowry, but it also was MLD. Now, how old was Baker during this diagnosis? He was seven. Okay. Seven. Yep. He had just turned seven. And I always, I was telling Sarah Beth, when I talk to people about this, you know, here's the thing. In my family, we don't have any MLD happening in our family. I've never seen anybody. We've got three college athletes out of these five girls, two sorority girls that called it Charleston. We don't see any MLD. Bill's family is gorgeous. They're all just stunningly beautiful. Uh, the Weatherford line is just lovely. And we've never seen any anything in our world. So what happened was, if you really, I remember studying genetics in college, but it's really interesting if you really break it down. So I carry the MLD gene, okay? I carry the late infantile version, which is the worst one. <laughs> Bill carries the juvenile gene of MLD. We both did not know this. We both had no idea that we would look for this. So when we decided to have a baby, and we're so quick at it, we had a 25% chance that this baby would be affected. We had a 50% chance that this baby would be a carrier. And we had a 25% chance that this baby would be completely typical. Well, I guess I should go to Vegas because I just uh, pretty, <laughs> I hit the genetic lottery um, in the wrong way. But uh, Sweet Baker was uh, unfortunately affected and that's how it happened. But it didn't really present itself until he started kind of stumbling at seven. You know, he was walking in and Bill saw him about once a month. I saw him every day. So I've always known he kind of toddled a little bit, you know, just that was kind of kind of how he walked. But Bill would see him every month and he would say, he seems to be stumbling a lot. And I was like, okay. I mean, I, I didn't really realize that. So he was really worried about it. And I was like, gosh, Bill, you're always thinking he's like sick or whatever. I was like, let it go. You're kind of too nervous around him. And, and sure enough, I mean, dad was seeing it because he didn't see it, you know, at an everyday kind of thing. So so I, in October, after our diagnosis in March, you know, I really started feeling kind of down about this. Now I was feeling down the whole time, but I started really taking this on like, wow, I can't believe that I gave this to my baby. I cannot believe that I chose that guy out of all the people you could have a baby with. I chose like one guy that was going to, you know, so I was like, dang it, really giving myself some hard times. And then I thought to myself, wait a second. Well, Bill has this gene. So we're both kind of not my fault. It's our fault. And then I thought, wait a second. One of his parents has this. One of my parents has this because we were carriers. One of my grandparents has this. So it was just really eye-opening to me. Even seven months after diagnosis, it was like clicked. Wow, this has been in my family for a really long time. So in the next chapter of my life, at some point, Sarah Beth and Kelly, I want to 
you know, we're starting right now with the MLD community to getting MLD screening, newborn screening on the map so that when your babies are born and you get the little heel prick, that MLD is on that panel. So as soon as they find out, they can get that bone marrow transplant to stop the progression of this disease. I was going to ask you when there's nothing you can do about the diagnosis itself, right? There's no cure for it, but you're going to get you, by the time you guys found out that Baker had it, it was too, it was not worth the risk, correct? You guys chose the risk. So after the, exactly. So after the testing for MLD, I was like, we're a shoe in, man. We're going to get this bone marrow transplant. Let's go to Duke. Come on, go blue devil, you know? But, uh, you know, after we kept going through the testing, we found out that we, they sat us down June 4th and said, we found out that here's the coffin Lowry diagnosis. And also Baker's not going to be a candidate. And my sister, Ashley, who's a nurse was in the waiting room with me. She was not in the office, but she's, she was like, I don't know what to pray for. I don't know if I want to pray for the bone marrow transplant. I don't know if I want to pray for not the bone marrow transplant because the bone marrow transplant itself what is very, very, very treacherous and painful and quality of life is very, very, very low. <laughs> so uh, it turns out we just were not a candidate because right, they couldn't really see if the coffin Lowry or the MLD was causing the delays or the stumbling. And because of the muddy waters, they said, we cannot guarantee. So Baker had an 80% chance of not making it through that bone marrow transplant. So we decided to snuggle that sweet little muffin as long as possible and give him the happiest life that we could for as long as we have him on the side of heaven. I saw you use that phrase the other day on the Keep Baking Baker Facebook page. And I read it to Kelly earlier and your positivity around that, because I know you realize that what's happening is an inevitable part of his diagnosis, right? But I wanted to dig in. I think Kelly did too, of like your positive, how you keep yourself positive, even on the most rough days with this? I, this is kind of a weird question, but I almost want to know, how do you recognize your lows and then help us walk through your positive, you know, how you end on a positive note? I think that's going to resonate. doesn't matter what anyone's going through. I think one, being able to understand how you recognize your lows and where are you allowing yourself to do that? And then how do you pick yourself back up? And mm-hmm. being very present in that day. Yeah, I think that's a good question. I, I think the big, the big thing is, is like I've said in the past, is that, you know, if I sit down and I think about what I'm missing right now, the the nine year old baseball games, you know, the all the fun stuff that you you know kids can do now, playing sports and all the things. If I sit down in my my sadness, then it will take over. I mean, it just and and what's that gonna do? Right. So I just spin it and I just say, what can he do? What can he do? Right. Instead of what can't he do? So I think that's the biggest thing is focusing on. That's always just something focused on the positive. Um, but now, am I, am I going to lie and say that I don't have severe panic attacks? Maybe every now and again, a mole has to talk me down and I can't breathe and I'm crying and I'm sad and I'm mad. You know, sometimes it's hard being positive, but if you let that negativity take over, then no one's going to enjoy the time we have left with Baker. And I truly feel that I have, a God has a plan for me and Baker, and we are here to say, look, we're not guaranteed a wonderful, beautiful, pretty life that we can buy off Facebook or buy off Amazon. 
you're, this is the life you're given and you're going to need to live it. And you're going to need to do your best with what you're given because who do I think I am that I think I need better? I mean, and by the way, I love what I have. I love my life. I hate that my life is going to be so short with Baker. I think it's going to be a really long time without him until I see him again. But I got to make the most of this life. I got to. It's hard to focus on the time we have. And, you know, in August, we were given a six-month window. They said, we think Baker's walking into this six-month window. They said this a year ago. And Baker was just so sick. He was so, so sick. So MLD, just to give you a quick rundown of that disease, it's, again, a big word, metachromatic literacy. It is a change in the white matter in your brain. And I think it's really amazing how our bodies work and we just take it for granted. But MLD patients are lacking an enzyme. There's only 13, lucky 13 enzymes in your brain that work together to make everything work. Well, Baker is missing the ARSA gene. And when you're lacking that gene, I'm sorry, that enzyme, it is, there's a buildup of a material that helps eat away at the white matter that surrounds the nerves that sends signals across your brain. So it's basically the insulation, the pink stuff you have in your attic. That's around your, your nerves and, and that helps get signals. So it tells you to swallow. It tells you to go to the bathroom. It tells you, so it's amazing. So when that white matter disintegrates, those signals don't flow. So they're not hitting anything. The, the x-rays when we were doing screening uh, for the bone marrow transplant showed that there's a significant amount of scarring of the white matter disappearing. So they said, look, he's already gone to a point where there's not a lot of signals left. So they said, we hope, you know, he has a couple good years and that's what we're going for. And right now we're on two, I mean, two years. So thankful for every single day for sure. Talk a little bit about your Facebook group and the support and or community you found in that because you've you mentioned it when you were been on bed rest and mm-hmm. uh, I glanced at it when we were you know gonna host here on the podcast and it seems it's, it's growing and I love that support and community so just talk a little bit about you know how you started that and how it, that evolved for you as well. Wow, I I can't even say enough about the Keep Baking Baker Team Baker. I mean they. Sarah Beth, you're on it. I mean, I I couldn't get, I say it and I feel like it's so watered down, but I could not cheers and the enforcement kind of gal, like I need to hear, keep going. I need to hear that. That's just kind of my nature. And just having the, these people that know my sisters and have met my family and have met Baker, went to school with Baker, neighbors surrounding us. I mean, we've been, received so many wonderful gifts and just gifts of love, gifts of, you know, just keep going, gift cards, here, go grab yourself a coffee, you know, and it's just like, oh my gosh, and you feel unworthy of this love, but they are, everybody is just amazing. And it's, I think it's in several countries, I know for sure, but it is a quite a group of people that we, they just cheer us on and they love seeing Baker smile. And it helps me to have someone to go to. And I, Sarah Beth knows I love my friends so much. I literally love the people I run into when I meet you. I, I just, I think we should all be friends, <laughs> but I just really, this group is amazing. They've kept me going. I've been able to be honest with them and I don't always paint the positive. You know, I actually, the, the post I did Sarah Beth the other day about Baker's spinal surgery. You know, we just found out that uh, his spine has a severe 72 degree curve and needs spinal fusion surgery immediately. And Bill and I had to speak with our hospice team at Transitions here in North 
testing that this is something that is going to add immediate pain for three months to Baker. It's going to take that smile off his face. It's going to take away the quality of life that we have been striving for. So we had to make a really difficult decision to not go in that direction and just hope hope that this progression of the spine gives him enough air in his lungs to breathe longer <laughs> so I can have him longer. But, you know, we have to face these decisions on a daily basis of do we have a, you know, do not resuscitate? Do we want IV fluid? No, these are serious questions that are also kind of controversial. So when I posted that the other day, I, I kind of posted too soon, Sarah, and I was like, Oh no. And so I like was trying to add everything really quick. And I had a little bit more that I wanted to say. My sister Tracy said, okay, Andrea, you're a little wordy already. I, I think you got it covered. But I, you know, I just wanted to say like, this is just, these are not easy. I never, you know, I don't want to be, I want to choose what color Jersey my kid's wearing. I don't want to choose whether or not he gets spinal surgery, but I have to play a, a really difficult role of, ugh, I don't want to say it, but like you play God and Dr. Kevorkian and all in the same breath and it's weird and it's terrible and it's icky, but you got to think about what's the goal and it's Baker and his quality of life and keeping him as comfortable as possible. And that is what Bill and I, you know, have, have worked really hard to, to maintain. And throughout this entire diagnosis, Bill and I have really, really worked great together. Uh, we are partners in this, couldn't do it without him. He moved up to Raleigh in October and uh, we've been really, really rocking this co-parenting thing together. It's not sun, sunshine and rainbows all the time, but we have each other's back and it's been good. It's been interesting. It's, it's funny how things come back full circle. What can we pray for? Well, pray for Baker to sleep well. <laughs> he's resting better, but right now he, he's good. I would say, um, gosh, prayers for strength. You know, my prayer for, ba- my prayer for Baker at night is, you know, God, please help us to be the people you created us to be. Help us be the light that uh, you need us to be for others and help me to be the mom I need to be for Baker. And I just say, you know, I pray for clear lungs. I pray for uh, smiles in the morning and uh, no throw up because he's, bless him, he has secretions, but he struggles with swallowing. He's no longer eating. He's continuously fed overnight through his GJ tube. So I've learned a lot of new things. I could be a nurse, I swear, Dr. Mom. But we have amazing nurses. That's been wonderful. We just got that in November. And um, But as far as prayers go, gosh, just peace and the strength to, to move forward, really, taking it one step at a time. And, and to just realize that this is all part of our plan and, uh, and God's plan and that we're just here to be the best we can be each day. I imagine that we've we've talked about the Facebook page several times, but anybody that's listening that's not uh, following you right now is not going to be able to listen to you and just move past your story. <laughs> so where can they find you? I really need to up my Instagram game, guys. You guys are rocking it. I have a Facebook page. It's always been such a big thing for me. Uh, Keep Baking Baker is our Facebook page. It's a closed group at this time, but uh, my sisters and I monitor it. But that's where you can find me on Facebook. And I do have an Instagram, Keep Baking Baker as well, that I need to just pump up a little bit. <laughs> well, let us know. She's definitely the, she, if, uh, Kelly always says like, Facebook's your thing, Sarah Beth. But I think about people like you who, that's your community, right? If Facebook didn't exist, I feel like you'd feel like part of your community wasn't around you. So as much as Facebook can piss us off sometimes, it was definitely your, I feel like your sounding board and your pillar of strength. But if you um, need any help on the Instagram page, this is your girl right here, Kelly. She's okay. Good. good. Thank you. So yeah, I, you know, it's funny with this COVID mess. It's like, 
you know, I it's almost like being on bed rest again. I'm like locked in. So uh, we haven't been, you know, going very many places. So Facebook has been a great outlet for me to just kind of get what I'm feeling out. And I kind of use it as my kind of daily journal a little bit, but, um, but I'm just, you know, every day is a gift with a sweet little boy. And I, I pray for more, but I say that as I pray for more comfortable days. I pray for more happy days. That's a, that's really a big answer to your question. Now, there's not very many people that I've met in my life that as soon as you get on the screen, I know that we're in a podcast, so you can't see her lovely smile. And Sarah Beth mentioned, you know, how bubbly and positive you are. You're kind of like, okay, yeah, yeah, you know, whatever. <laughs> and I think there's probably two people in my life that I can say God has their spirit and literally walks with them anywhere they go. And Andy, you are one of them, a thousand percent. You feel it, you see it. I've gotten goosebumps probably seven times throughout our, your story. And it's not only because it's trying to put myself in your position, it's seeing the light and the strength that you possess on a different level than I think most can even relate to. So sharing your story on our podcast, one, we're super grateful and that you know, hopefully through our listeners and through Sarah Beth and I, you'll have continued prayers for your journey. I just really want to reiterate how important it is that you've mentioned your ability to stay present and that is God's hand 1000%. I think I love the fact that you have the ability to recognize where you are, you fall short, but you have the ability to like bring it back up and to stay that positive nature for to be the best mom is, you know, just very inspiring. And then just that mom strength. I know Sarah Beth relates to that a lot too. And that was the one thing that she always has said is, you know, there's no strength like a mother, mama, mama bear strength. And that just is, um, it shines very bright to you. So I appreciate you. Thank you so much. That concludes another episode of Naked with Mimosas and Hot Sauce. Thank you so much for listening. Regardless if this is your first time listening to us or if you have been here since day one, please know that we are beyond grateful for any love you can show us. So if you can take just a second to rate us and leave a review on whatever app you're using to listen to us today would be awesome. Also visit our website at mimosasandhotsauce.com to sign up for what will be one amazing newsletter and then follow us on Instagram at Mimosas and Hot Sauce or on Facebook at Naked with Mimosas and Hot Sauce. Until next time, stay naked. naked.